Well, Wooddale, we are wrapping up this weekend our series on heaven. And uh, I, I don't know, have you enjoyed the series? It's been, a, it's been a great series, hasn't it? Dale, folks have just been so engaged as we've been going throughout this series. I, uh, many of us have been caught in the hallway and uh, folks wanting to, to dig in after the, the messages and ask more questions. And we have had a lot of questions. The first weekend you came back to the team and said, hey, we have so, so many people asking these great questions. Let's do a Q&A for the final message. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're really excited about this. And uh, we've been collecting questions from many of you, all three of our campus locations, online as well. And uh, we have here a number of the most frequently asked questions, and we're going to go through these this morning. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I would mention is that we have, I've also enjoyed the series very much, been insightful and helpful for me to be thinking and studying on these things. Uh, the Bible does speak specifically to many things that have to do with eternity, heaven, but then there are other things that the Bible's not so clear on. And so you take what it offers you and you try to, you know, draw a picture in your mind. But you have to be careful with that because it may not be exactly that. So when we talk about these things this morning, understand that some of it's just speculation. The best we can arrive at with what God's made known to us. Perhaps in the future it'll become clearer. But whatever we talk about, it's going to be far superior and beyond what we can even describe with human language. So. That's great. Well, let's jump into the first question. And this one actually isn't about heaven per se. It's more about the resurrection and the resurrected body. Uh, but a number of folks have, have written in. So one person in particular wrote this question in, does it matter if a person is cremated or if they're buried? Well, that's a, that's a question that's being asked more and more. And one of the reasons why is because um, there's increased the number of cremations that are taking place in this country. And I think one has to come at that question individually and personally and prayerfully. Those who, you know, advocate burial as the only means do so oftentimes based on the fact the Old and New Testament don't talk about cremation. They talk about burial. But then for those who pursue cremation, and Marsh and I know pastors and, uh, and friends and people who have been cremated, that that's what they chose, how they wanted to uh, deal with their bodies. And we know people who, you know, are wrestling through that question and that's what they're deciding to do. Um, you know, they would, they would say, well, the Bible doesn't speak against it either. It's kind of silent on, on the whole issue. I think the important point is to not fall into the same kind of thinking that the world does. And what I mean by that is cremation in its various forms is practiced by many different religions. And it's done so out of a platonic mindset. A couple of weekends ago, I mentioned Plato. And what I did, I said, you know, Plato was kind of the father of this idea that the human body is, is evil, that the human body is something we want to get rid of, that we're trapped inside of it. And our goal is to be free from it. So the body is just considered to be, you know, really bad matter that we need to get rid of. And that's not how God looks at our bodies. I mean, God created Adam and Eve. He created humanity and he said it was good, right? Our bodies are good to God. Paul tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that it's unnatural to be without a body. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about our longing to have a body, a resurrected body. That's how God sees us. So God has always planned that we would have bodies. Our first bodies were ruined by sin, and he plans to give us a resurrected body. And in fact, the early Christians were oftentimes taunted and laughed at by pagan religions because they cared so much for the dead. And they buried those bodies in the catacombs, etc., because they believed those bodies would be resurrected again. 
So however you approach it, the important thing is to remember that the body's not a bad thing. It's been ruined by sin, it's been you know, decimated by disease, but we're gonna have a resurrected body someday, right? So um, whichever way one goes, one wants to make sure they keep in mind that we'll have a body back again. You know, people before uh, embalming, most people, I mean, they died and their bodies wasted away into dust and people have been burned to death and God has no problem with that. It's not like God can't help you if you don't have a body to work with because many don't. He can call back all the molecules and, and atoms reconstitute them and give us a resurrected body. But I do think, I, I think one needs to ask God, God, you know, how can I best honor you with the body you gave me? What, what, will, what do you want me to do with this? And, and that's so consistent because throughout scripture, God really calls us to care for his creation, <laughs> right. whether that's the earth or our physical body. So that's, um, that's great. Uh, let's get into heaven specifically. And a number of folks have written in or asked about this idea of free will in right. heaven. You know, will we have a free will in heaven? And, and one person in particular said, and if so, do we run the risk of another Genesis 3 scenario that they're kind of speaking to uh, the, the fall that happened? Yeah. So in other words, we have a free will in heaven, we use it to rebel against God, and here we go again. Well, first of all, uh, free will is not a bad thing, okay? Now, it's, it's used in a bad way, but God gave the gift of free will to Adam and Eve, and he asked them, this is, this is what it means in Genesis when it says we're, we're fashioned in the image and likeness of God. God gave us that free will, and he asked us, Adam and Eve, to choose it to obey him, to be for God, not against God. But Adam and Eve used their free will to rebel against God instead, and here we are today. Their rebellion created then in their posterity, all of us, this sinful nature that condemns us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 5, and he says this, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, that's all of us. But Christ's one act of righteousness, that's what he did on the cross, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, Adam, us. But because one other person obeyed God, Jesus, many will be made righteous. Will be made righteous. So how are we made righteous? We're made righteous by Christ's act on the cross. Christ took our condemnation on himself. He died our death to forgive us our sins. Now he becomes our righteousness. But, but God goes beyond that. He actually imputes that righteousness into our life. That is, he places it into our life through his Holy Spirit. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? It's a question and the answer is obvious. Yes, the Spirit of God lives in every believer. So now, Paul says, I have this conflict in my life when I receive Christ. Galatians 5, he says, it's this conflict between the Spirit of God who lives in me and my human desires, my sinful nature in me. And they're in, they're in conflict with each other. How many have ever felt that conflict? Yeah. <clears throat> Today? Yeah. Yes, right? And, and the problem is we have that conflict until we finally go home, until finally we stand before God's presence, and this side will be done away with and the Spirit will have full control of us. In that sense, we will be like Jesus, and in that sense, like Jesus, we will use our will only for God because it'll be his nature that has taken over our lives. Adam and Eve did not have that. We have that. 
And I, I could spend a half hour talking about that in Genesis. It's fascinating. Adam and Eve did not have that. God's plan was always to bring it into our lives. Yeah. But this may help us explain it a little bit better. Um, so, Kyle, let me ask this, uh, let me ask this question. Um, everybody, you know, at one point in their life wants to be like somebody else, or even as kids, like an animal. So, as, as a kid, what animal did you always want to be like? <laughs> okay, so I'm a scuba diver, so I, I love the ocean, and uh, d- don't, don't judge me, but uh, I, I've, always, I've always wanted to be a shark. Yeah, okay, all right, good. Anybody else out there ever want to be a shark? Right. Well, I'm unique. I'm unique in that. Yeah. That's okay. Right. Well, that tells us a lot about your personality, so that's good. All right. all right, thank you for being so revealing to us, all right? <laughs> But as much as you want to be a shark, all right, if it's like it's the thing you want to be more of than anything else, you cannot be one because that is not your nature. You can't be what your nature isn't. And so in heaven, we cannot rebel. Sin, evil, desires, temptations, gone. So we can't be what we aren't. So that's what we have to look forward to. I'm thankful. Yeah, that's good. Okay, uh, we're on the topic of animals. Yep. So let's keep going with the theme on animals. Um, a, a lot of folks wrote in and asked questions about animals in heaven. One person in particular wrote this in, will dogs go to heaven? I'm okay if cats don't. Uh, oh, we're gonna get cat emails this week. <laughs> oh. So to all cat lovers and owners, I apologize <laughs> on behalf of these other people. All right? <laughs> whoever they were, okay? So let's talk about animals for a moment. Um, And there are are lots of questions, and and for good reason, because so many people enjoy the animals. Why do we enjoy the animals? Because God created the animals. So as I've done this series, two things have really kind of grabbed my attention. One is how much God loves and cares for the environment. He really does. Because he made it and said it was good. And it's really made me think about you know, how do I treat the environment that God loves and cares about? Because God's going to have a new earth someday. The environment matters to him. Secondly, God created animals. And God created animals to be very unique and to have a unique relationship with mankind. Adam and Eve, the animals are brought to them to name. There's a lot more in there than just Adam giving them a name. It's interesting. In the Hebrew, the word that's used for our human soul is nefesh. It is also the same word that is used to describe the life of the creatures, of the animals. Now, our souls and the souls of animals are very different. We have a soul that can relate to God. They do not. But in God's economy, man was supposed to have a special relationship with the animals. Romans 8, Paul tells us that all of nature groans, aches for the world to be put right again, the way God always intended it to be put. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65 Revelation all indicate there will be animals in the next life, so to speak, on the new earth and in the new heaven. In fact, there's an interesting verse in Revelation that goes like this. It says, and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Well, every creature, that means beyond human beings. So, when I look at a verse like that, does it mean the animals are going to talk in the future? Probably not. I think what it means is that the greatest act of worship is not music, it's not preaching. The greatest act of worship is obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice, Samuel told Saul. God wants obedience. Romans 12 talks about that. So in the new earth, new heaven, 
all of nature will come under submission and obedience to God. And in that sense, it sings a praise. It sings worship to God. It pleases God when his creatures behave and live and, and think that way. So, you know, one of the interesting questions that oftentimes comes up is pets. You know, will my, will my pet be in heaven? And I came across something by Johnny Erickson Tata. And actually, John Piper even talks about this, which kind of surprised me. Um, here's what, it, what she wrote. She says, if God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be just like him. It would be totally in keeping with his generous character, exorbitant, excessive, extravagant, in grace after grace. Of all the dazzling discoveries and ecstatic pleasures heaven will hold for us, the potential of seeing Scrappy, must have been her pet, well, probably not a cat, uh, would be pure whimsy, utterly, joyfully, surprisingly superfluous. Heaven is going to be a place that will refract and reflect in as many ways as possible the goodness and joy of our great God who delights in lavishing love on his children. So why not? Why, why couldn't God do that? Will he? I don't know, but why couldn't he? Heaven is so broad, it's so beyond our comprehension that we shouldn't not think about it, but we also shouldn't narrowly think about it as well. I just realized I may have a lot of goldfish waiting yes. for me when I get to heaven. Well, if you're a shark, I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, let's talk more about our experience in heaven. Uh, Dale, there is a lot that is written about mm. judgment and speaking about um, you, you know, the different thrones and, and the judgment that's going to come and um, who's judged in heaven, are we judged in heaven if, if we're in Christ, can you help us sort all that out? Yeah, so that's a broad uh, subject that's worthy of several sermons to try to cover, so we'll try to do it quickly. Uh, the first thing I would say is judgment is not necessarily bad, often we equate it as being bad, it's not. I mean, all of us seek justice, don't we? You all want justice, I want justice for all kinds of things that have been done to us or things we see done to others. And if without justice, this world would be horrible. I mean, it's, it's hard enough now. And so that's why God says, you know, don't you seek vengeance. Vengeance is mine, I'll handle it. Don't get caught up in bitterness and anger and wrath. I'll settle the score in the end if the people don't repent. That frees us now not to become vengeful people. All of us are judged the moment we're conceived. David said I was conceived in sin. We all are. We all have that human nature in us. The amazing thing is that Christ went to the cross to take that judgment off of our back and put it on his own. So he took the death penalty for me so I can be forgiven and pardoned. Those who put their faith in Christ are forgiven. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, Jesus put it this way. He says, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. So, so if you put your faith in Christ, you won't be judged for your salvation. You, you are assured of your salvation. It's based on who Christ is, what he did. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. I talked about that. For not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be expressed. So for when a person rejects God's love and denies Christ and walks away, so to speak, says, I don't want God in my life, all right, then they come under the judgment that leads to condemnation, which takes place in Revelation 20 at the great white throne judgment. It says their works will speak against them. In other words, if God's standard is perfection, then all of the works of the unbelievers will be unveiled 
And no matter how good a person they will have been, none are going to match perfection. And they will see, they will see that their works didn't match up and, and they spend eternity without God. Now, I did a message quite a few weekends ago on hell. If you missed it, I encourage you to go to watch it because I deal a lot more with, you know, the, the, the final um, state of those who, who reject God. For the believer, however, there is going to be another kind of judgment. It's the judgment of our behavior, our works for the Lord. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. Now, he's talking to believers there, all right? So he's talking, we will stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about the fact that we are all building on Christ as our foundation. So if I'm a believer, Christ is the foundation of my faith. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, be careful not to lay up treasures for yourself here on earth where moth and rust destroys. But lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. And Jesus is all about investing for the future. But he says, invest in those things that transition to the future. That is his will, his work, his mission. So I should be using my resources, my gifts, my talents, my abilities to further Christ's work on earth. That, that's ultimately what's going to stand in heaven. In 1 Corinthians 3, he uses an illustration. Paul uses an illustration of a fire. And he says, your works are going to be tested by this fire. Were they selfish and for yourself or were they for God's glory and God's kingdom? He says, some people are going to enter heaven, as it were, as though they had just ran out of a burning, burning building. That is, they won't have anything to show for it. Everything will be burned up. Nothing was done for the glory of God. Therefore, one ought to live their lives for the glory of God because God can't wait to give you rewards. That, that's how generous he is. And in a sense, I think what God is saying is, look, the world offers you incentives to live for the here and the now. Do you want to do that? Do you want to live for the here and now and that's all you get? Remember last weekend, if you were here, I did the rope and I had the little red end and then the long white rope. If you missed it, you can go watch it all. I guess you can't. We didn't tape that one because of the sensitive nature of our mission guests. That's what happens. You don't come to church. You miss out, all right? <laughs> long white rope. And I said, the little red end represents the here and the now. Yeah. But I said, as small as this life that I live on this earth is, it has eternal impact for eternity. God says, take this part of the rope, live your life in such a way that, man, you just are blessed throughout eternity with all these rewards that I have for you. And so, yeah, that's, a, that's an important part of our, our journey, our walk with God. So, Dale, let's, let's talk then about those who, who, who do face that judgment and they're, they're, not able, they're, they're not in God's presence. Right. For those of us who are, when we're in heaven, how do you think we're going to cope with that knowledge that someone we know, a friend, a loved sure. one, a, a neighbor, isn't there in God's presence with us? Right, so that, that's a very hard question to answer. We all have friends, loved ones that we know who have, as far as we know, died rejecting God. Now, ultimately, I am not to judge who makes it in, who, makes, who does it. I think we have to be very, very careful of that. That's between God and that person, not, not me. But the thought that there are those who are going to pass on to eternity without God is very real. And how does one feel about that emotionally? A couple of things. One is, we all think at a different level here on this earth. Our minds, our brains are corrupted by sin and by the world we live in. We're not going to think the same when we're in heaven. Now, will we lose our memories of earth? I don't think we will. But we will interpret them far differently. 
One example, and I, I agree with Randy Alcorn in his huge reference book on heaven. I think he's right about this. What we appreciate about others who, let's say, reject Christ, because you know, we have friends and loved ones that we like and care about, are things that are a result of God's prevenient grace. In other words, yesterday was a beautiful day. Today, I think, is a beautiful day. Blue sky, warm sun. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist or Christian, you're going to enjoy the day. It's a gift from God, right? Hell, I believe, separation from God is removal of all those benefits. Not just, let's say, environmentally. It's also removal of those benefits in my own skills, abilities, and pleasures. The good things about me are suddenly gone. And I am left with who I truly am. Have any of you ever misbehaved and been disgusted with yourself? All right? Have you, has a thought ever crossed your mind like it has mine? What if that was me all the time? That's scary. Of course, your spouse may tell you it is, but it's scary, <laughs> all right? It's scary to think that way. Yeah. How many of you have ever seen the, the uh, trilogy Lord of the Rings yeah. that came out, all right? Tolkien was a believer. Like C.S. Lewis, he used a lot of fantasy to illustrate great truths. And I think one of those great truths that's been missed by a lot of people uh, is something I'd like to bring up to help us understand what happens, you know, what hell might be like. So in the, in the trilogy, there's Gollum, right? And Gollum is this, this demonic-looking creature. He's a, you know, he's, a, he's a hobbit who's just been totally demoralized by his choices in his life. He's, he's a grotesque uh, creature. And uh, it's happened because he's become obsessed with the ring, the golden ring, right? And he wanted it so badly because of the power it held that it literally destroys his life. And it's all he can think about. He'll do anything and everything to have that ring. He'll kill for that ring, all right? You see the, you see the sinisterness of, of Gollum. Well, there's an actor that portrays Gollum. And uh, he gives the voice to Gollum. Uh, they hooked him up with various computers and, uh, or computer devices. And, and got him to create the motions of Gollum, and then they came up with the image. So I want to show you the actor and the image, all right? There's the actor, and there's the image. Now I want to ask you all a question. If you met the actor on the street, and he said, hey, let's pop into Starbucks or Caribou and have a cup of coffee together, how many of you would say, sure, no problem, all right? If you met, if you met Gollum on the street, all right, and he said, hey, precious, all right? <laughs> Gotta watch the movie to know that one, right? All right? He said, hey, precious, let's stop in and have a cup of coffee or tea. How many of you would run the other way? I would too, right? Okay. Well, what happened to him? That ring destroyed his life, okay? And that's all that's left. Before then, he was, he was a normal-looking hobbit, okay? So some of you are going to go back and re-watch it now, right? Some of you are you never watched it. You're going to watch it for the first time. I think Tolkien was a genius because, in essence, what he has pictured here is Adam and Eve reaching for the fruit, that God said, you can't have it. That power belongs to me. It'll ruin you. But they took that fruit and it destroyed them. And all of us, all of us, all of us had that destruction in our life. All of us experienced the corruption, the evil of sin in our life. Hell to me is being left with just that. And so I think when we have that understanding in eternity, it'll make it, it'll make it better for us to deal with the loss of those people in heaven because we'll see sin for what it really is. Yeah, and that's it's so, a hard question. And that's so helpful for us to, to understand that we can't make, uh, you know, we don't have the perception of that eternal perspective right. at this point. So right. it's hard for us to, to right. comprehend. Because if, imagine if I feel this way, imagine how God feels, right? 
Imagine how God feels. Yeah. He loves them far more than you and I could ever love them. Yeah. So. Another question that many are having a difficult time kind of wrapping their mind around is the idea of relationships yes. in heaven. Uh, in particular, and I know you mentioned this in one of the earlier messages, but your questions have come in. Will there be a marriage in heaven? Um, will, will, what about children in heaven? So talk us through relationships and family. Sure. So let's start with family and friends first, all right? I, I believe, and I don't see anything in Scripture that denies this, that in heaven... Um, your family and friends who are believers who follow Christ, um, you and they, we will be together, all right? I believe you will have meals together as family and as friends. I believe you'll go on outings together as family and friends because we'll be on a new earth. We'll have resurrected bodies. I believe there will be a bond there as friends. We'll be very close. And something happened to me this week that really uh, uh, impressed this on my heart in, in a way I didn't expect. Marsh and I had our family in from uh, all over the place. So my kids who are missionaries in Europe came in with our two grandsons, my daughter and her family from Texas, which is like another country, came in. And uh, my youngest son, who we haven't seen for a very long time, came in with his girlfriend from California. And so it had been four or five years or more since we'd all been together like that. And so it was really special. And then, then they all started peeling away, going back home. Well, my son went back to Europe uh, with his uh, family, our two grandsons, and I got a call yesterday, and my son was on the phone. He said, hey, Dad, he said, we're really having a hard time with Harrison, uh, who's my second oldest grandchild, who's eight, and he said, Har Harrison is crying to sleep every night. So can you talk to him? So Harrison and I have kind of a, a unique relationship like I have with each of the grandkids, and so he was on FaceTime, and I was on FaceTime, and he went to his little room, and I went to my room, and and he just was crying. And he said, he says, I can't sleep. He said, you know, he says, I miss being there so much. He says, Papa, I miss you so much. And he's just sobbing while he's doing it. And so I'm trying to keep my, myself together emotionally while he's doing that and, and not fall apart. And I'm trying to comfort him. I'm, I want to get on a plane and go get him. Um, and, you know, I was just, I was left with saying, you know what, Harrison, let's focus on our memories. And I started talking about the things we, we did while he was here. Then I started talking about the future, the things we're going to do when we see him again. And uh, I said, put your head on the phone. Papa put his head on the phone, and I prayed for him. And I just, I just thought how that relates to heaven. Some of you have loved ones who've gone before you. You miss them desperately, children, spouses, grandparents, you know, friends. I want you to know that as much as you miss them now and may make you cry, and that's okay, you are going to see them again. And it's going to be wonderful, and you'll never be separated again. And we have that to look forward to. And it's not a psychological crutch. It's reality. It's reality. The more I've been in this Heaven series, the more I realize it's bookended. There's a front and there's an end to it. And when you look at the story of God and take your time doing it, it all makes sense. It, it just comes full circle. So marriage, the Bible tells us that there's no marriage in heaven. Jesus was once approached by some Sadducees who tried to trick him, and they said, what if a man marries different women over a course of time? This wife dies, marries the next one, that one dies. Which one will be his wife? And they thought they had Jesus, and then Jesus said this to them. He said, your mistake is that you don't know the Scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, we've talked about that in our series, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like angels in heaven. Angels in heaven in the sense that angels don't marry, right? So there's no marriage, therefore, in heaven. If there's no marriage, therefore, in heaven, does that mean 
I won't know my spouse. Does that mean I'll, I won't have the luxury of that uh, relationship? If you have a good marriage, there's nothing better, right? Well, again, the scripture's not clear about all these things, but I personally believe, and others that I've read believe, that I will know my wife, for instance, Marcia in heaven, as, as someone I love very much on earth, you know, my most cherished love on earth, human love. And that in heaven, we will enjoy a very special bond and, and relationship, but we won't be husband and wife because there's only one marriage in heaven, and that is Christ and his church, the bride. So Revelation 19 talks about the marriage supper of the lamb, all right? We are the bride, he is the groom. In fact, Paul tells us that marriage on earth, and a lot of us just don't know our Bibles well, and we don't know our theology well. Marriage on earth is a picture of our marriage to Christ in heaven. That's why Paul says this. He says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Well, when I accept Christ, I'm to be joined to no other God, no other idol, no other being, but to him alone. And the two are united into one. Christ becomes one in me, I become one in Christ. Paul said, the spirit in me. This is a great mystery, it is but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So the love that we'll experience with God in heaven, which is beyond it, the love that you may feel for God now pales in comparison with the love you're gonna have and experience in heaven. It's gonna supersede any kind of human love experience we've ever had. And it will become the model by which then I love everybody else as a result of that. So we will have this tremendous, this tremendous, very pure intimacy with everybody. Now, I know as soon as I say that, and I know nobody, I know the questions are in people's minds, they won't write it. It has to do with, it has to do with sex in heaven, all right? It, people ask it, it comes in in different ways, but you know, the tendency is for some people to say, that's the greatest expression of pleasure I have on earth. Is that all gonna be gone in heaven? And my, what I want to respond to is, there's, since there's no marriage, you give it in marriage, uh, there is no sex as we know it today in heaven. What we experience in heaven, though, in our love relationship supersedes anything sexual. So again, you know, we have a tendency to think on this level. Don't take that and assume that's how you've got to think about heaven. Whatever you think is so pleasurable and enjoyable, and, I, and I'm talking about sexuality in the confines of marriage now, not outside, all right? will be superseded in heaven. So beyond our comprehension, will there be children in heaven? I can't go into this, it's a long uh, subject, but I'll give a short answer. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65 indicate there will be children in heaven. The question is where, where do they come from? They don't come from us because there's no marriage given in marriage, right? So one of the strong possibilities is what happens when an infant or a child dies now? Where? What form do they take in heaven? Do we somehow assume they're all going to be in an adult form in heaven? Why is it not possible they will be at whatever stage they entered into heaven as an infant, a child, right? And if so, will we be responsible to raise them in heaven? Will parents raise their children? Or if their parents aren't there, will others act as parents and raise those kids? I think about all the, the children that have been miscarried or have been aborted. They're in heaven. You know, my parents had a child, my mom miscarried, that they expect to see in heaven, okay? I have a sister, you know, I was told this little girl that we'll see in heaven, right? So, um, why not? Why not? And then God allows us to raise them to be whatever ideal age God chooses for us. By the way, by the way parenting would be much easier if that's the case than it is here, right? <laughs> right? 
but why not? Okay, understand, I'm speculating, but why not? Where does it say in the Bible they appear in adult form? You know, so it's a bit of a mystery, but we'll leave it there. All right, uh, quickly, a lot of questions came in about near-death experiences. Right. Uh, there's a lot of books out there about them. Dale, what do you, what do you make about those near-death experiences? Well, you know, a couple of things. One is they're not always heaven-related. Some of them are hell-related. Uh, I shared a story weekends ago, I think on the message of hell, uh, picking up a man was an EMT working with a paramedic who had uh, collapsed at a, at a, rest, at a um, Catholic retreat center. Flatline, we couldn't get a, a pulse on him at all. Uh, brought him back to uh, life again. Uh, resuscitated him, I should say, and he would not stop talking about the fact, to me, I was the only one with him in the rig, that he had been to hell and how horrible it was. I mean, this guy, it was so, I, I, it just overtook him how concerned he was and how he was going to change his life, all right? My dad, on the other hand, um, has had multiple heart attacks, ended up in the emergency room a couple times, and in one of those instances, he said he remembered leaving his body. He remembered looking back down and watching them work on his body and thinking to himself, stop it. Don't, I don't want to go back, <laughs> all right? Now, he didn't see a light, he didn't hear a voice, he didn't have any warm fuzzies or music. He doesn't know what to make of it. So there have been people, pastors um, and other good Christians and non-Christians who've had these NDEs, all right? And they write books and make movies about it. I think it's all rather interesting. However, you cannot base truth on experience. Therefore, just because somebody said they went, had the experience, you can't sit there and go, if it, if it conflicts the Bible, you can't then change the Bible to, to adapt to that. It could be hallucinatory. It could be demonic. By the way, the best, the best cases for NDEs are children because they're the most honest in the research. And, and they've talked to kids who have seen things that happen in, in houses far away or in rooms that the kid could not have been in and there's no other way they could have known what was being done. So there's something there. All I'm just saying is, this, you've got to ground yourself in the truth, not in those experiences. Enjoy the movies, read the books, but come back to the Bible. This is our, this is our guide for life here and now and life in the future. So just be really careful uh, with those kinds of things and don't create a teaching out of it, especially if it conflicts with the scriptures. Dale, this series has been incredible. God's word hints at just this amazing, how amazing heaven is going to be. And I think the, the question that it leaves us with is, why do we have to wait? You know, what's the point of prolonging life here on this earth when we have such an amazing future waiting for us? Yes. Let's, let's answer that question, all right? So we had that question come in uh, several different times. You know, why, why not circle the wagons? Why do we even care about this earth? Why do we care about this world? Let's just wait it out and pray that God comes soon. That's not the right spirit or attitude for us to have, though sometimes I feel like doing it, <laughs> like going away and hiding and waiting out on God. The Bible tells us that God has left us here to continue being Jesus on earth. That's why we're called the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that he is willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. And repentance obviously leads to eternal life. So I'm left here, you're left here, we're left here in order to let people know the good news of God's grace and God's love. We are left here to point people to who Jesus is so that their lives can be changed. That's why God says, I've got rewards waiting for you. Don't invest in this life. Don't waste your time, money, talents, abilities, building a little kingdom for yourself that makes no difference in anybody's future. 
but invest your life in an eternal difference. So we talk about adopt seven. You know, who are those seven people in your life you're praying for, you're going to serve, hope to share Christ with? That's why we're involved in world missions, trying to reach other cultures and other people with the good news of God's love and God's grace. That's why he left us here. That's where our focus needs to be. But as we close out this series, it also leaves us with a very important question. Do you know where you're going to spend your eternity? Have you settled that in your heart? If you believe heaven is real and the Bible is the word of God, then where are you going to spend your future? Are you certain that if you died today, you'd be in the presence of the Lord? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? I just want to reflect on that question because it's such an important question. I don't want to end a series in heaven without giving you an opportunity if you're unsure to be sure of where you'll spend eternity. So, how would you answer that question? I say, Pastor, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, are, are, are you wanting to be sure? Say, I, I do want to be sure. Then it's just a matter of transferring your trust completely over to Jesus Christ. And you can do that today as long as you meet it with all your heart by praying a very simple prayer that you can pray with me even online. Pray it quietly. Pray it to God. Pray something like this. Dear God, I am unsure about my future. I want to spend my future with you. Not on my terms, God, but on your terms. So I admit I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. Today, oh God, I open my hands to your repentance. I ask you to take over my life. I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. I ask you to bring your spirit into my being. I will give you my best, oh God. I thank you that you become my perfection. And I have the rest of this life to live out that perfection that is in me now, in your spirit. Father God, I pray for anybody who prayed that prayer that your spirit would speak to their hearts. God, I pray that you bear witness with their spirits that you indeed love them, they've been forgiven, that you live in them. Oh God, you have a purpose for their lives. If you prayed that prayer after our service, one of our pastors will be here at the front and some other prayer partners. Just come and tell them that you prayed the prayer. We want to help you grow in the journey because we're a family. We do this together. You can't do it on your own. The other day I was heading home, just a couple days ago, sun was setting. And it was, it was so beautiful. It lit up a patch of clouds and turned them kind of a bright pink, orangish colored. And they were, they were swirling together. Then on the outskirts were some of these small little white clouds, looked like dots. It was just gorgeous. And I just thought to myself, God, you are, you're showing me what it was all intended to be like in the very beginning, how beautiful it must have been before we messed it up. And then my thought went to the future, and I thought, God, you're showing me a taste of what is to come. And you know, sometimes it just feels like you're on the edge of heaven looking in, and we're not that far away. Why don't you listen to this song? You've heard it before. And the team will invite us to sing it. I hope you stay in the room and give this worship to God.